0: A gracious, loving God, help us to understand your word today, your word found in the Bible. Help us to see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Help us to see the thread that you have woven through all time, a thread that is you and your saving grace found in Jesus. O Lord, may your Holy Spirit be upon us today. May it open our minds and our hearts. May it enable us to see clearly your word for us. Amen. Now we're in the third week in our series on looking at the prophecies of the Messiah or the Messianic prophecies. Now just so that I can get everybody up to speed and make sure that we've all got everything um, just in, in line. Our first week we had a look at how Jesus fulfills the, prophecies, the prophecy about the Messiah bringing a new covenant. Last week we looked at how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy about him being the cornerstone that is rejected by the builders, by the religious leaders of the time, but yet is the cornerstone that God leads us into a complete new understanding. And this week, we're going to be focusing on prophecy, one of the the prophecies of the Messiah that come from the Psalms, and from Psalm 2, and we're going to be looking at how Jesus, the Messiah, will be called God's Son. In fact, actually, is God's Son. But before we go too far, I just want to make sure. And if anybody wants to jump in here right now with the answers, um, can anybody tell me what the Messiah is? We, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we've got this, you know, completely under wraps. And for those that haven't been here um, for the previous weeks. Um, the Messiah basically it means the one who is anointed so when we give something a special purpose we anoint it we give it a meaning we give it a, a purpose that is beyond the ordinary we take it from being ordinary and we make it special and we anoint it and when, when we're talking about anointing people one of the things that if you've ever seen a coronation of a king or a queen you'll actually see part of that process of anointing the new queen or king. At the moment, within Australia, our monarchy, we have a queen. And if you actually watch the coronation, you actually got that special section at the moment where they anoint the queen to give her that special purpose. But when we're talking about the Messiah, we're actually saying that the Messiah is the one that is chosen. That is above and beyond all, chosen by God, anointed by God to do the will of God, to bring the covenant into completion. And the covenant into completion is the salvation that we find through Jesus Christ. So we all know when when anybody asks you, what is the Messiah? or what does it mean to be the Messiah? You'll be able to go, I've got it, won't you? I hope you have. For some of it, it's three weeks in a row that I've been saying the same thing, isn't it? But you know for some, it's the new thing, but that's what the Messiah means. so when we're looking at the prophecies of the Messiah, it's the prophecies of the one that God is going to anoint, the one that God is going to bring into being. So that brings me to the second point. What is a prophecy? What is a prophecy? Well, basically, you can define it as special knowledge, the miracle of knowledge that is unseen. Knowledge either of events to come or knowledge of sins past that need to be corrected. Not even just past, present as well. It is special knowledge given by God for the betterment of the community of believers. And often when you see a prophecy written in in the Bible you'll see that it's, it's a prophecy that's there to correct to bring back into line because we like the people of old tend to go astray but when we're looking at the prophecies of the Messiah they are special prophecies that foretell or talk about the Messiah to come, the one who is about to be. And they, they talk about a number of attitudes or points about the Messiah. And so we actually have today the prophecy that we're going to be focusing is on the one where the Messiah is to be called God's son to actually understand the very nature. And see, this is why it's so important for us as we come into Christmas, as we start to celebrate who Jesus really is, we actually need to realise why it is so important for us to celebrate the birth of that baby in Jesus. It is the long-appointed birth of God's son. Now, I'm going to use some really big words here, theological word here, and it's called the imminent God. So often, when we think about God, we think about God being somewhere up there and elsewhere, don't we? God up in the clouds. You know, we, we all have these kind of pictures of God in the cloud, you know, holding um, a lightning bolt, waiting for you to do the wrong thing, don't you? That's often the, the case. I mean, especially the Simpsons. If you've ever watched the Simpsons, that's how you know God is pretty much described, just wanting to smite the people that are doing the wrong things. But that's that. That would be like a A God who's up there and beyond is, a a theological word there is transcendent. In other words, beyond the here and now, but is out beyond us. But when we come to the prophecy of the Messiah, we are actually talking about the the imminent God, the God who is here with us, present in this very moment, present here through history in Jesus Christ. So it's so important for us to actually start understand the very nature of Jesus Christ as God's son. So let's look at this prophecy. So we're going to jump into Psalm 2. And we're going to have a look at what Psalm 2 says. We're going to have a look at three aspects of this psalm that gives us an understanding that we can bring for us today. ...in a lot of our understandings of how life works. The first thing that we note when we read this psalm... And ...in verse 1 to 3 of this psalm... And I'm going to, we're going to put it up on the screen... ...we're going to follow along with it and just have a look at it. Is that the Messiah, that is Jesus, is hated by the nations. That is the King, the Messiah, the one to come... ...will be hated by the nations. So let me put it up on the screen. Why are you nations so angry why do you, why do they waste their time with futile plans the king of the earth prepares for battle rulers do plot rulers plot together against the lord against god they're plotting together against god and against his anointed one that's that's the who's the anointed one jesus, jesus. and and what does the anointed one mean we've been using the word the messiah isn't it why are they plotting against the messiah let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Now, this is an important point for us to understand. So, the only way really to understand this psalm is that we actually understand it, it, it is actually expressing the rebellious nature of our humanity against God. The nations are basically fighting against God. Because they despise his son. It's a pretty hard and harsh statement. But we're not surprised about that, are we? Because it's almost the way it's always been. See, if you, it, it, it happened back in the Old Testament that the people rallied against their God and it happened in the New Testament and we can actually have a look at at scripture that shows us that um, that the church even the early church when when the apostles had started to teach and people had started to gather that the world and people were rallying against the Messiah, against God's plan against Jesus and I I just want to show you that In, in Acts 4 Verses 24 to 28, it actually has this. And when they heard the reports, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke, spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the eight nations so angry? Why did they waste their time in futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did, they was determined beforehand according to your will. Can you see here that even back then the disciples, the apostles, the early church saw that this was happening, that it was actually a fulfilment of the prophecy, that Jesus, the rulers, would despise Jesus. But today, even as we look around the world today, people still rally against God. They still rally against Jesus. They still rally against the believers in Jesus. Now, if, if you post a, you know, a statement of faith on the Facebook, you'll actually find that people will want to argue and complain and say that it's wrong. And if you look in media... People rally against God all the time. Against people of faith. And we have a look at how companies exclude the church now rather than include the church. It's not something new that the nation has rallied against the Messiah, Jesus. It is relevant today as it was all those years ago when this psalm was first written. The nations set themselves against Christ because humanity keeps seeing itself as being the centre of attention rather than focusing upon the creator of the universe and the ruler of all rather than focusing upon God. And so we see the first part of the psalm shows us and helps us understand that the Messiah, that Jesus, was actually hated by the nations. So much so that they actually executed him on the cross. And this was foretold in the psalm. And then the second point that I want to bring out is the Messiah, that is Jesus, is actually the King of Kings. What does it say? Let's just jump back into Psalm 2 verses 4 to 6. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. Here we see, That Jesus is the King of Kings. See, God laughs at the nations not because he thinks they're funny, but because they're confused at the thought that they actually have power. It's kind of like this. As a father, when my kids were growing up and they were much littler, I can't say that about my kids now. They're not that little anymore. And I'm sure they're actually a lot stronger than I am. Are you a lot stronger? No? Oh, really. I'm sure you lift more weights than I do. <laughs> He's going, yes, I am much stronger. <laughs> but it's when they were little, it's kind of like this. Think of this. Um, your three-year-old wants to have a wrestle with you. And wants to think that they are the strongest one. And they want to kind of overcome you. And yet you can laugh at them because it's so easy you could just pick them up and overpower them. It's the same with God, with the nations. The nations think that they are powerful. The nations think that they can do everything but God could just pick them up and wipe them out of existence. God laughs at them because of this. God knows that they have only limited power. See, when we have, have a look at this and when we actually see this, the, the, the church in the, in the New Testament emphasised in their preaching upon that the, Jesus was the Messiah, the expected one, the King of Kings, The Lord of Lords. I'm not going to start singing. so You're safe there. See, Jews viewed God with the fact that he was going to come and rescue them and redeem them. But what they actually failed to see was the fact that time and time again, in many different ways, and you'll see it all through the Old Testament, that God pointed out the very true nature of the Lord was to actually expose the sins of those people and then bring repentance upon them. So repentance through Jesus. To expose the sins so that they may have a right relationship with our God. See, so when we think of kings and queens and royalty and majesty, we often think and we equate with our own earthly kings and queens, don't we? Of, of power that's derived through a line of succession. Power that has money and wealth and pomp and majesty to it. I always think it's funny because at the moment, you know, it, it, because within the news and everything else at the moment, um, they all like commenting on the protocols that revolve around the royal family. Like you, you, you're not allowed to um, walk in a particular way, you have to wait until the queen does something or you have to do this or, or bow a curtsy. And Chris was only telling us you know, a number of weeks ago about the, the handbag thing with the queen that the handbag in certain locations gives signals to those people of what they need to go and do. Like if the handbag goes somewhere, then the queen's had enough and it's time to finish the conversation. But the queen doesn't want to tell them that they've had enough, so the handbag moves. It's that, that kind of thing. You know, we get all fascinated by it, and especially with Megan Markle and and you know the, the royals and then being out here in Australia and all the protocols that go with it that you can't touch the beard of the the prince or apparently can if you're young and you're cute but if you're older that may not go down quite so well but see there's the thing we think that these royalty people the royals are set apart but they're ordinary people whereas jesus was fully human was with us completely but was completely God as well and that is our biggest difference that we have when we start to talk about kings and queens and about the Messiah and about Jesus is that Jesus is God's son, it is he is God and that brings us to the point that Jesus is the Messiah, is God's son and where do we see the prophecy? We see it in In Psalm 2, verse 7, it says, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have become your father. This is the promise. This is the messianic, the Messiah prophecy that promises that the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, will be God's son. So the question is, how is this prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament? How is this prophecy fulfilled by Jesus? I want to give you two verses that will help us understand this. And the first is from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And it is... Well, 1 to 3 and then then it actually goes on to 9 11. I'm going to just skip a little bit because it's just talking about the baptism of Jesus. But this sets the scene for us. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Notice, notice the, the opening remarks of Mark's Gospels is what? This is the good news about Jesus, the what? The Messiah, the Chosen One, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written Look I'm sending my messenger ahead of you And he will prepare you your way Now this is another um, prophecy about the Messiah That that comes in Isaiah We're not going to actually deal with that one in our series About preparing the way Here's a voice shouting in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord's coming Clear the road for him So here we see Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. And Mark is going, Here's here's the first one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the anointed one. And he starts with the first of the prophecies that found in Isaiah, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And then we have him just moving on a few verses into 9 and 11. And you actually see the baptism of Jesus. One day, Jesus from Nazarene came from Nazarene and John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River as Jesus came out of the water he saw the heavens split apart and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy fulfillment of the prophecy. God speaking of Jesus, his son declaring that he is son fulfilling that prophecy that he is the Messiah, the chosen one he is anointed by the Holy Spirit incredibly important for us to actually understand that God and Jesus are one. Jesus is fully God in human form. Fully human and fully God at the same time. And if we go into an, an, another set of verses into, into Acts, and we have a look at Acts 13, verses 32 and 33, it says this. And now we are here to bring you the good news that is the gospel that is the good news of Jesus Christ the promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us their descendants by raising Jesus so actually saying that Jesus had died and had been risen again this is what the second psalm says about Jesus you are my son today I have become your father see not only within the the actual Gospels but also in the Acts and in Hebrews all through the New Testament we see referencing to Jesus being God's son. A fulfilment of that prophecy. Because Jesus is God's son. And the thing for us is that we can place our trust in God's son we can place our trust in Jesus. I want to wrap this up not with my words, but words from, from Paul the apostle found in Romans 1 verses 1 through to 4. And this is the opening of the letter to Rome to the Roman church. This letter is from Paul a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scripture. The good news Hang on. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life he was born into King David's family's line and he was shown to be the son of God. When he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit He is Jesus Christ, our Lord He is Jesus Christ, our Lord The one that was prophesied and spoken about so long ago Made complete in the love and grace found in Jesus Christ And we can have trust in him We can find our salvation in him So let us just pray together. Let us pray that we may depend wholeheartedly upon our God, a gracious, loving God. I want to learn to trust you. I want to learn to trust you with all of my life and with all of the situations that I face right now. Today, I choose to say, not my will, but yours. I want to learn to trust you right now, to give all the situations in my life and lay it before you. Let us give to our Lord anything that is difficult that we are facing. Let us rejoice with our God any times where we are happy and joyous. Oh God, I trust in you to break through in your way and in your timing. I thank you that you have created me as a unique individual. You have fashioned me carefully and in a special way. Help me to learn what I need to learn today, that what you would have me understand. Help me not to make my own plans and then ask you to bless them. Teach me instead to listen to you, that I may do your will wholeheartedly for my life. O Lord, show me your plans for this day, And help me to live it out joyfully. Forgive me for when the times in my life where I have forced my own will and my own plans. And Lord, change me so that I may lay everything at your feet. Everything in my life I devote to you my time, my energy. Convict me, O Lord, when I want to go my own way. Help me to choose to do it your way. O Lord, today I acknowledge my total dependence upon you, upon you at this moment, in all my moments, that I have in you and I always will belong in you, your love. You own me completely, Lord, and I depend upon you. May your great love, the love found in Jesus Christ, be with us now and always. Amen.